You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and as you can probably hear from my voice, I am in the sort of critical hungover condition that one gets in at the end of the Montreal Comedy Festival when one has spent the entire week working hard, recording podcasts, doing shows, getting all stressed about uh, TV taping, doing that, everything working out well and then going out and getting smashed for the first time and then suddenly waking up as a young man might do in the, in the flush of summer and thinking, oh, God, I've done absolutely nothing about releasing a podcast today. Um, I've been a little bit confused as which ones to put out, and I, I've gone with George Egg for today. He's absolutely brilliant, and I want to make sure that you guys know all about him before his Edinburgh show. This is a, a podcast I recorded a couple of weeks ago. Uh, as you'll hear, George came round to my flat, and he, we did the first half of the interview. Then he cooked me a lovely dinner. Uh, lovely lunch, as, as, as we'll go into more detail, as you'll hear. Uh, it was fantastic. He's an amazing cook. Uh, and then we did the second half of the interview, all, all with uh, lovely full tummies. Now, the reason we did this is not just because George is a, a lovely man and offers kind things like that, and anyone would be a fool to turn down dinner from him. Um, but uh, George is doing a show called Anarchist Cook at Edinburgh, which uh, you'll hear all about. But it's all, it's all tied in and thematic, and it was a lovely suggestion of George to come around and do it. So we'll go to that podcast. Uh, I'll bring you that interview in just one second. Um, but here's me going, well, which, what order do I put everything out in? Guys, I've got too many podcasts. I'm drowning in pods. And I want to both... I want to get all of the people out that are coming to Edinburgh, uh, including George, of course, uh, and then uh, Charlie Baker, who I recorded live at Latitude. He's doing an Edinburgh show as well. And Justin Morehouse is going to be up there. So I've got those three in the chamber. I've got to get them out. But I've just done some fabulous episodes up here with Jen Kirkman, with Moshe Kasher, and with the incredible Patton Oswalt, which I recorded yesterday, and is a strong contender for best ever podcast. I mean, it certainly is. If you, one of my ones, I mean, best ever at all in any in any media, best thing that's ever happened, and certainly of these episodes, it's a real favourite of mine because Patton's sort of my, he's kind of basically my favourite comic, uh, and it just went swimmingly well. I'll bring you that as soon as I can. Um, I want to keep things current and, and bring out the, the Montreal ones. It would be lovely to have done it while I was here, but I've just been too busy. Um, I've got one day left here, and I'm going to spend that trotting around, seeing shows and doing more recordings. 
So this is George Egg. This is sorry. I, I don't want any of that to detract from George. I, my point is, I'm so desperate for you to see George that I'm going to prioritise the uh, the Edinburgh ones so that uh, so that they can get maximum coverage and you can all go and see uh, uh, George Justin's and Charlie's Edinburgh shows. So here's George, uh, and I'll let the rest of uh, this interview speak for itself, and I'll speak to you somewhere around the middle. At which point, well, no real time will have passed for me, which uh, so I will sound as rough as I do now. This is the brilliant George Egg. We're going to do this in an unusual way as well. This was your idea. Tell, tell my listeners how, how we're going to uh, run this interview. Uh, well, we're going, to, we're going to do half of it, and then we're going to have a little break for lunch, and I'm going to cook you a nice lunch, and then we're going to do the second half replete. <laughs> this is such a great idea, and, and and this is thematic. You could you could tell tell us why this is particularly thematic for you. Uh, well, because in the last couple of years, I have, I suppose, um, married my two uh, passions, which is performing and cooking, um, and have started cooking on stage. Um, now this this came about because of the hotel survival series, didn't it? Yes, that was the, so that's the origin that, for it. Now tell us about that because I've mentioned okay. that on numerous podcasts. Tell uh, tell me in your words what hotel survival was because the idea just tickles me. And I'm yes, sure and I remember I, well, I remember you doing a thing with the the little net bag. Oh, the pasta, yes, the pasta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, inspired, I assume, absolutely by my by my work. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in, in fact, before you tell us what the hotel survival is, just tell us uh, briefly. Your kind of your comedy experience. You're a you're a prop comic. Would you call yourself a prop comic? Yes, definitely. Well, I started. I think this is why this, this is going to be, I hope, an interesting one because we've got a very similar uh, the path that we took into becoming circuit comedians is mm. very similar, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, right down to our chaos. You watching it on a video, didn't you? And I, oh, yeah. and I saw it live. I worked there, in fact. Okay, okay. Hang on. Will it's so that I'm, I'm keen that I want the audience to know because I fear sometimes that uh, my listeners are very choosy, and I think I like occasionally I'll have had street performers on in the past. Yeah. Or people with a street performing background, and I fear. I don't know if I'm right about this. I, I have this kind of anxiety that my listeners go, "Oh, he's done the street performer." Oh, chat. absolutely. It's no. very much not that, is it? Tell us who no. you are right now as a gigging comic, and then we'll we'll talk about hotel survival, yeah. and then we'll talk okay. about the background. Um, I am uh, presently, I suppose. Uh, yes, I I describe myself as a prop comic, um, although I I always. For for my whole uh, career as a as a stand up, I've hated that label just because I know that it immediately turns a lot of people off, and they they think, oh, so you're not a stand up, you're not a real, thing. yeah. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a stand up who illustrates quite a lot of the the jokes with with you know objects with with props. Um, but there's still there's still jokes, and it's still the whole format is very much like a, a stand up set with observational stuff and surreal stuff and and stupid stuff and so on. If you didn't have any props with you at all, if you're, if you're, I was going to say if your car broke down, and I've touched a nerve there because I know we've got van issues, we'll get into them at this time. <laughs> we'll maybe get into them over dinner. But um, if you lost all of your props, if all of your gear was stolen, how much could you do time-wise with, with, with no props? Has that ever happened? Uh, well, it's not happened... Uh, by accident but I've done stand-up I've done straight stand-up gigs by design you know I've been asked to do a gig and a shorter set you know so maybe 10-15 minutes okay but I I've got I've got a battery of uh of 
you know, just spoken word comedy. Gotcha. Um, I suppose in a in a kind of club environment, um, if I suddenly realised that I bought the wrong, the wrong, the wrong massive the wrong briefcase. <laughs> Um, then, um, uh, then I guess, yes, I could do 10, 15 minutes, but then with the cooking thing, I could do, yes, I could just keep going. Okay. So. And, you're, and the kind of, what I'd like the, my listeners to understand is I, I don't know what, I don't know if people know what we mean by prop comedy. Like who are your contemporaries? Who are the other people on the circuit doing? Cause you're not a magician. There's one or two magic there's effects. There's one or two but tricks, but I, sort of I would never, away. yeah, I would never call myself a magician because also it's such a closed circle uh, uh, you know um, the kind of magic fraternity, and I think that because some of the tricks I do, I expose, yes. and uh, some of the tricks I do, I don't do very well. Um, I think that you know other magicians would go, "He's not a magician." Sure, you know, it's, if it's anything, more... I'd be worse than just a non-magician, or yeah, anti-magician. It's, it's more just kind of like a sort of lunatic toy box of yeah. stuff. Do you think that? Do you think that's fair? I mean, the things that most. That, that most like if I kind of if I was to describe your your act to someone I go oh, there's a there's a really there's a there's that bowling ball gag at the beginning yeah. it's a big funny massive prop that just makes people go oh my god anything can happen and then the one that I always tell people about is Daily Thompson Olympics which I know you don't do anymore I've done that for years <laughs> yeah yeah everyone grew up oh my god <laughs> so the, you would get the you would get the the computer console the keyboard of a Spectrum forty eight K which is near to my heart because I, I had that that uh, computer if not that game and you would do uh, this you would do impressions of games on the spectrum yes which i suppose if we're being um sort of comedically analytical is really like your kind of peter k who remembers big bottles of pop isn't it you know oh, what i mean well, i mean it's kind yeah, of I suppose it is. which I is kind of it. why i that's not why i stopped doing it. i stopped doing that because mainly because you know, every time I get it out, fewer and fewer people would recognise yeah, it. Yeah, initially it'd be a cheer. I'm 42, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my audience probably is generally certainly on the circuit uh, younger and, now. And this is a computer, for those people that don't know what a Spectrum 48K is, it's, it sort of has less memory than my watch. Yes, yeah. it's, it's, oh, it, You need to plug a cassette recorder into it and load games and it's on still tons more memory than they used to send people to the moon. So it's <laughs> just insane, that, isn't it? That, just the whole memory thing is bonkers. Yeah. But... but um, uh, yes, and I suppose it was a computer that was around in the in the eighties. Yeah, wasn't it when I was? So you up, so. you do that? You do you do? Well, this. I don't do that. No, you don't do that anymore. <laughs> Sorry, no, no. I'm I'm kind of just trying to sort of pick out certain bits of my favourites, like the uh, the LP covers. Yeah, the LP the the I, I like things like the um, the travel pillow. Yeah, the travel. Yes, pillow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got because a range that's just of impressions. Stu- well, no, so well, it's more it's more the. The stupidity of, of of thinking that I've come up with a bright idea. The joke, I suppose, oh, which yeah, I'll explain for for people wondering what we're talking about. Um, I talk about uh, uh, performing gigs all over the country and spending a lot of time doing nighttime driving, and finding that you can get quite tired and your head can start to droop down. Um, and then saying, "But I always come prepared because I carry around one of these and I've got a travel pillow." Yeah. And I say, if you don't know what this is, this is a travel pillow. Genius idea. You can put it around your neck uh, if you're tired while you're driving and just rest your head on it. <laughs> and so I, and that, that's, the, that's the sort of thing that appeals to me more, that sort of prop joke where it's... It's a visualisation of a, of a of sort of cartoon-esque idea. Everyone would be going, yeah. you know, nah, you know, no... That's not. Yeah, <laughs> that's not. That's that's. If anything, that's that's going to make it more dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> lovely, 
Lovely. So you're so it is this. You've got a, a big a big bag full of stuff, and you're just kind of picking up and doing little twiddly ideas with things. And there, there is a parallel with with our with our kind of uh, backgrounds there because you do like you you're able to work silent. You can work um, uh, not for long. Well, I maybe mean, not silent, yeah. but you can work non English audiences. Yes, yes, and I have done a lot of that, and and certainly, well, I still in my in my circuit act um uh start the show with sort of four or five minutes of non-verbal non-verbal i said Um, non-english now i said non-english speaking visual material yeah yeah of of all visual stuff um and didn't you at one point you had a promotional giveaway which was uh, sort of a recording of your first four minutes yes and i should re i should redo that i know i know yeah it was a a cd single of um george egg live Doing live mime, and so it was. It was four and a half minutes long, and uh, and it started with my introduction music, and then you could just hear all the sounds of what was going on, and, and a laugh. and a lot of laughs, yeah. And then it ended with me saying "Good evening," which is the first the live first of the show, about four and a half minutes in. So, um, and then the, then that was the end of the, the CD. You're such because you're such That's an ideas really man because the stuff is. Like, you know, all, all comics are kind of creative, like sort of more traditional stand-ups. We're kind of creating ideas and going, you know, have you ever noticed? Or here's a one-liner or here's something else. But you, because you physicalise all your ideas, you really remi- you always remind me of like you're a one-man A-team. Like I've been in your <laughs> workshop where I believe there was a bazooka that you'd made. <laughs> yes, yeah. And which again, I've had to take uh, overseas. That, yeah, that was fun. Oh my God. Um, so you're, you're someone who has an idea... Which comes first for you, the idea and then you build a prop to physicalise the idea or you see a funny thing or you, you see a, an amusing... God, there's no good way to say it, but like you're walking through a hardware shop. Can you walk through a hardware shop and just think, hang on, plunger plus fried egg and then you build a thing? Well, I, I, I just thinking through the jokes that I do in my show... There's it, none of there's there's no rule. So I mean, there's been things which people have found and said, oh, maybe you could do something with this, um, and uh, and then I've turned it into a joke. And then equally, I've thought actually it would be great to walk on with a bazooka. So I've gone down to a hardware shop and bought drain pipes and road cones and paint and made a really convincing looking bazooka. That's great. Which, which I, I was out on the front of our, uh, in front of our garage with it, getting some, Nikki, my wife, to take some photos of me with it. And um, this really weird guy came over and started asking all about it and saying how he'd been on a firing range and shotguns. And we were, we were trying to explain, look, it's just, it's made out of drain pipes. It's not, it's not real. And he was, and it was like he wasn't hearing that. He was just too excited about guns. It was all a bit, a bit creepy so we went back in oh my god so we went back in the house <laughs> but um uh yes and then other things uh i've well like you say vi- visualized the idea come up with so um i've got a new thing where uh i've got a, a buffering sign and i wanted a have you seen that yeah i've seen that great and, uh, and that, i'm so pleased with that and i, I but I, I thought of that can you can you describe it to us yes uh, it is, um, I get someone with a mobile phone to video the stage and then I get out a big bit of black plastic um, with a stationary buffering sign, you know, the sort of uh, flower petal kind of... Yes, um, the, apple, you know. the, the, the thing that happens when your phone dies and reboots itself. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I get them to start filming and then I talk and freeze 
And when I freeze, I rotate a thing behind the, the sign. I'm gesticulating here, no one can see. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and the, the buffering sign rotates. And if the, if the camera phone is at the right distance, it, it looks so much like it is actually buffering. It's great. I've seen some people have, have put it on YouTube and Twitter yeah. and things like that. And, um, and it looks, it really does look like it's buffering. Um, and so, yes, that was an idea that I had. And then I, I thought, well, I've got to make it. So I looked for materials and worked out how I could, how I could do it. Were you, uh, I often ask um, my guests if they were a funny kid at school. Were you a sort of makey kid? Were you in the scouts? Were you someone that, did you play with lots of Meccano? Where does the kind of hands-on approach? Because I know um, you you brew your own Stu, beer and you make your Stu, own bread. I played Lego, not Meccano. I'm not that old. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I had Meccano. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I, 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 I preferred it was, the Lego, but I think... Was it inherited Meccano? Yeah, but oh, there you go, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, um, <laughs> did you have clay, clay bricks <laughs> that you would fire? Um, I, um, no, I wasn't particularly. I, I, kind of, I kind of got into being creative more... Well, I don't know, I was into art and things like that but not really very makey. And I certainly wasn't in scouts or, um, but I was into comedy and I did, did little sketches and things at, in assemblies and, and music as well. I was into music and I did, um, uh, I can't remember having these two Casio keyboards and doing a kind of interpretation of the A-team theme in an assembly <laughs> once. And looking back, uh, yeah. And were you, when you were doing sketches in assembly, that's a lovely, <laughs> that is such a lovely idea. Just not the fact of school, but assembly, like <laughs> presenting a thing to the rest of your yeah. school. Were you doing that? Was that solo? Were you doing sketches with friends? What was the uh, It was with a guy called Phil Eisler, who um, ended up being Robbie Williams' bass player. Okay. And now is a is a film score composer in America. But wow. me and him did. I mean, there were some of them we wrote ourselves, and some of them were um, just uh, things like the Oblivion Boys, you know, like the two policemen in the Young Ones, just yes. re- just yes. recreating that, just doing other people's okay sketches. So you were you were kind of scratching an itch there in terms of making people laugh. Were you a were you a happy kid? Were you a class clown type? I wasn't really a class clown. I was definitely a happy kid, and then. Um, and then I did. I joined a youth theatre, the Lewisham Youth Theatre, and um, and did a few plays with them, and then then started performing. Well, the, well, then I mean, if we're going to go, are we going to go into history now? Yeah, go on. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, uh, and then uh, me and my friend Leo um, went to see Our Chaos, the French anarchic yes. circus. Yes. Um, who were on Clapham Common, and we went to see that show, and it just and that really was, I think, the, the that was the the catalyst for making me go, actually, this is what I want to do. You literally saw a circus and went, wow, and yeah. it kind of peeled your brain. But I need the listeners to know that to say you saw a circus isn't what, because no. you know our chaos wasn't like Our chaos were like, they were the heavy metal circus. They were chainsaw, yeah. kind of not just, not just chainsaw jugglers like you see people doing in the street now, but there were... Like they were kind of insane. There were people running around with huge squares of corrugated iron on yeah, their backs. And it was, but again, it was all that sort of um, uh, that kind of creative, you know, welding things together, taking a car and cutting it in half and having it sort of fell apart. And um, and there was a bus that there was. Was there a bus full of water? No, there was a mini full of water. A mini there was full a mini water. full of water covered in covered in shells. And then with yeah, with with double windows, so it looked like it was completely full of water with this woman driving around in it. And um, 
and it was just and it was so genuinely dangerous and and you know properly <laughs> yeah, anarchic, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, how, tell me, how are you going to juggle a chainsaw? I'm just going to juggle a chainsaw. Well, that's the thing yeah. that people did in real accents. And in fact, when uh, the first time I went to Edinburgh Festival, just as a punter, um, which must have been when I was seventeen, eighteen, maybe, um, and we went up to see our chaos up there, as um, amongst other things. Um, and we were sat on the front row and there was a car in the show which started by itself and there was actually someone in the boot who was hot wiring it and said this car would start by itself and then people would get in it and drive off and someone had left it in gear and uh, it started and it just drove straight into us and there was a great big tractor tyre in between us and the car which which bashed into this, there was then a sort of metal uh, kind of barrier railing thing and the, the tractor tyre bent the railing right Close, you know, like within millimetres of our knees. Oh, and uh, and then, you know, someone got in the car and drove it off. And we just thought, wow, that was part of the show. And that was amazing. <laughs> and then when we befriended them afterwards and I ended up working there cooking, which is why it's all so connected, yes. you know, with me doing the cooking now. Um, uh, these these people came up to us who, who were in the show and said, my God, you know, you we nearly killed you. You know, and that and that was a complete accident. It was so, I mean, it was so rough and dangerous. How and, old were you when you saw our chaos? Uh, 16, 17, somewhere around about That's that. so yeah. funny, because I was 17 when I saw... Well, I and I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before. I've always wanted to keep it quiet, because there's a secret element of it that's... Um, it was Bike Boy that I saw. Right. You yeah. know, and I don't know that will mean something to only, like, uh, half a percent of my listeners. Yeah. But um, uh, I was at Stratford College doing A-levels and feeling like, damn, dude... I mean, I sort of, I like theatre, but I don't really like going to see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, there's yeah, yeah. definitely, this is like mm-hmm. me kind of going, hang on. And I was doing a juggling double act on sort of during the summers uh, with, my, with my best mate, Noel. And then we saw a documentary about our chaos. And I remember everyone in the little terrapin out the back of the college um, kind of just, I, I was sat there just transfixed, like the kid at the beginning of the, you remember the opening credits of Dream On, where the little kid would just be sat there watching TV as the world streamed around yeah. him. I was completely like, oh, where can I go to this magical kingdom? And I remember seeing a lad from Bristol with a Mohican who was being interviewed. who was saying, oh, yeah, I just uh, I, I just rode into the uh, the ring on my bike. I started doing tricks on my bike. I remember, I remember, remember, I remember the documentary because I remember him going, and I went in there, I'd done all my tricks, and some of them was really bad. That's what I said to me. <laughs> and I did a bit of juggling, and, and they said, why don't you join us? And I remember I mean, that documentary. Years, years later, having with that having set me on a bit of a course, like, oh, yeah, street shows in the circus and maybe that's and then it was I kind of did a, a sort of five years voyage into circus stuff at that point and clowning and that's what kind of kicked off the, the clowning thing yeah I was I'd seen bits of stand-up um and then years later I realized oh god that must have been bike boy who's a, a, a street performer known to the world of street performing yeah um who is uh how can we describe him he's uh, a sort of <laughs> He's probably indescribable. He's famous in Australia. He used to be on Hey Hey It's Saturday. And um, he's kind of uh, a, a, an incredibly hypnotic performer. He's sort of boneheaded in a lovable way. And he is absolutely not the sort of person that you would think would have inspired the young Stuart Goldsmith. He's <laughs> this kind of cerebral, kind of, you know, analytical comedy personality. So but I think that's hilarious that we both... I mean, you know, this is, this is your episode, not mine. But, um, no, but it is what I just remember when I think the second time we met and we just started talking and, and realised that although there's, you know, a kind of 
five-year age gap, the, the path was almost exactly the same. We were in the Isle of Wight, yeah, we and in, we missed the ferry. And we were in a car in the most torrential downpour. And we sat in the car. <laughs> oh, my God, well, that's yeah. lovely. That's one of those lovely, for all the, from forever banging on about the isolation of the circuit and stand-up and how you can, you know, how you how it's difficult to make connections sometimes with people because you might meet someone at a gig and like them and then not see them again yeah. for three years and you go, oh, if only we'd, if only we'd sat and, you know, yeah, we, yeah. We'd, we'd, we'd have forced a friendship out of it. That was one of those ones you go, oh no, the circuit can be brilliant for those kind oh, of Oh, it can. And then, yeah, and if you get, you know, two nights somewhere or, or, or like when we've done gigs abroad or something like that, you know, and then you get yes. these moments when, yes, and if it's the right person, I will never, which it isn't always. I will <laughs> never forget driving to Maastricht, you driving me and Dan Evans to Maastricht. Um, to do that uh, Barnstormers gig, which is a very unusual gig in that it was it was in the Netherlands, but it was not to uh, expats. It was to an entirely Dutch-speaking audience. Yes, well, so it was, well, it was quite an international audience, really, wasn't it, because it was yes. in the university. Yes, and so I they, think they, they, they had they a had, lot of, but, but, but certainly not expats. They had you brilliant know, but, English, yeah. but they weren't an English audience, so no. they're very different to a lot of the, the kind of European gigs. And we may as well, uh, before we move on to the, uh, uh, hotel survival... Um, it's only just occurred to me that it was during that uh, we, I should share this game with my listeners. Do you remember we played? Oh, the, we played no more comedians. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god! I might even well, have and, a list of it. And also, um, we can tell the listeners of the ultimate twenty questions game as well, which we played. Did you remember that one? Ah, oh, let's start with that one, and then I'll okay. Tell me that one. Ultimate twenty questions is just a brilliant game to play if you're on the road mm. with other comedians you, you've remembered I, I do remember I, I don't think of it as that game I don't, I don't think of it as that title so right. I don't know what you mean but just uh, explain the game to us okay. it's great um, I play this all the time what you do is if you're on a on a road trip or even just even if it's just a there and back and the same night trip just be observant throughout the trip of the minutiae of the experience and then on the way home you play a game where uh, it's like ordinary 20 questions but it has to. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be a person. It could be anything from a person to an object to a feeling to a moment to an emotion to a smell. Um, it has and, to be an incredibly it, specific it to be moment specific, from the trip. Yes, from that from that trip, which you either all experienced or you assume you all experienced. So it could yes. be the feeling of despair that I think you felt when we got to the gig and we saw the layout of the room, and we both felt that <laughs> neither of us were brave enough to. <laughs> to, to, to ask the promoter to move all those tables and chairs forward it's because such, we were tired and it was quite late and, and that sort of thing. It's such a great tour game. It's so great. It's so great for the trip home to kind of to think back, okay, was it inside or outside? Was it to do with the gig? Did it happen at the show? Was it while we were getting ready for the show? And, and, and it's amazingly, like 20 questions, it's amazingly possible to get those incredibly precise moments. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, and it's lovely when, when you get that moment when everyone else, which I suppose in a way is a bit like stand-up, is, is, is doing some kind of observational stand-up where, you know, when you, you hit on a moment that, that's, that's very particular yes. that other people wouldn't necessarily recognise. And you would go, yeah, I noticed that. It's a more so satisfying actually, game when, you're, when the specific moment you're referring to isn't something that's already been discussed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mean, it has to be surprising. Yeah. The other, the other game we played was a variation on. I mean, I know it as Mark Watson's game, but it's it's Watson, Horn, and Key invented a game called. And I think the, the title is quite unfortunate, but the title is called No More Women, um, <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's nothing to do with there not being any more women. Um, but you you take it in turns to name a famous person, and then that famous person necessarily will fall into a huge number of different categories. So you could say. 
And the first one that occurs to me is C-3PO, no more robots. And then you would continue doing the game, but now but the, the category gets smaller and smaller because there are more and more things excluded. So no more robots, then, okay, uh, uh, Zola Bud, no more sports people, you know. And then you get uh, so do you play it that has to be famous? Because I've played it since, and then someone will say, no more famous people. And then you go, oh... Yeah, exactly, oh, there's all sorts of yeah, variations so, so, on it. But yeah. the variation we discovered on that Maastricht trip was no more comedians, which lends itself to an extremely bitchy oh. and fun <laughs> game in a car. I recommend this to anyone. If you're listening to this, uh, travelling to a game, have a bash at this game. You you have to name a comedian that you all know, either whose work you're all familiar, you can know them personally or not, and then you get very specific things with, like, comedian X... No more people whose profile is greater than their talent. And, so, but, and it's great for it. It's great for it. I mean, I, I don't think of myself as a bitchy comic at all, but that game will absolutely draw oh, out yeah. of me some startling true opinions. <laughs> so this is George. What a lovely man. I mean, he's so warm, such a funny performer uh, and so inventive. So, I mean... You, I guess, you know, all performers are inventive. We invent the stuff, we create the things. But I just love the way George, he just finds funny in absolutely anything. And I think his act most typifies, in some ways, the the sort of the wibbly-wobbly world of the comedian, where you just look at the thing, see something funny, see it in a different perspective. His act absolutely breathes life into that and is, is just so much fun to watch. So do go and see Anarchist Cook at the Edinburgh Fringe. George is at the Gilded Balloon. And uh, I'll be doing regular tweets and shout-outs and stuff with details. But listen, you can get yourself to Google easier, more easily, I'm sure, right now than I can. Uh, and if you're going to be at Edinburgh, get up there and see George. I've had a few more donations come in, which is very, very kind of you. I really appreciate that. Uh, the new website is now online. We're going to be tinkering it and tweaking tinkering with it and tweaking it uh, for months to come, I'm sure. Um, but go and have a little butchers at www.comedianscomedian.com. Uh, we've got the new logo that you'll have downloaded with this episode and all sorts of other fun things there, many of which uh, are gradually working more and more as we get there. Um, but certainly chief among them uh, is the donate button. So please feel free to support the show in any way you like. If you'd like to chuck us 10 or 20 quid, just a little something to keep the lights running, uh, then that would be very much appreciated. Or if you'd like to see me at a gig, say something cool and press some cash into my hands, then please do do that. Always keen to encourage that. And thank you to those of you that have. So um, uh, your donations keep the show running and uh, and they allow me to keep doing it and do crazy stuff with it, like, like taking myself to LA Podfest uh, next September. There's some exciting things about that coming up, but I'm going to keep them to myself for now in the hope that they definitely come off. But uh, yes, things like that. I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to afford the uh, the hotel there or the flight over uh, without the support of people like you. So thank you very much to everyone that's donated recently and uh, the donate button at comedianscomedian.com is there for you. Let's get back to the brilliant George Egg. <laughs> We're talking about travelling in the day-to-day life of, a, of a, a comedian. That leads us nicely to hotel survival. So tell me how this came about. Okay. Um, I, more so, uh, I suppose, about five or six years ago, was spending a lot of time in hotels just because of the, the makeup of the circuit meant that there were more Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights where you'd, where you'd be stuck in a hotel for a couple of days. Um, and... Um, and I, I am genuinely into cooking and have been for since I was, you know, a late teenager. Really into it. I mean, to the point that I could, I, and I and do often entertain the idea of when I feel like I've had enough of this, of 
doing something that is solely to do with cooking, not having a cafe or something. Um, and um, anyway, and so I started thinking about what I could cook in the hotel room using what they've what they provide you with in terms of uh, heating up equipment. So iron kettle. Trouser uh, press. Trouser press, of course. <laughs> Corby 5000. Um, and um, and started uh, genuinely out of thinking, well, I don't want to spend money on room service and I don't want to go out and buy junk food. Um, thinking, well, what can I cook in my hotel room? And, and the first thing, I don't want to say too much because there's so much of it in the, in the show. People want to come and see it. But uh, the first instance was thinking, everyone likes warm pita bread and hummus. I'll iron the pitch bread and see what happens. And it worked really well and it, it puffed up and it crisped up a little bit on the outside and um, and then so chopped it into fingers and had hummus and pitta bread. Uh, and then once that worked, that just meant, you know, the creative sort of juices started flowing and I just came up with more and more ideas, um, which I realised just for my own comfort and then thought, uh, I think it might have been a suggestion from another comedian, said, you know, why don't you, why don't you film them? So I made, well, I made three short films, one of which I uploaded to YouTube, which went reasonably viral, I suppose. I think it's had about 140,000 hits, so not too bad. Yeah, not too Um, bad. Which was me making tortellini in a a kettle um, and then with a, making a sauce in the, in the dish, um, uh, in the, the, the soup plate that I got sent up from, uh, from reception um, and then made some fresh bread, which I rose the dough by balancing it on uh, a towel on top of a tissue box under a halogen light. Oh, no, it was balancing on top of a Gideon Bible, which was very <laughs> biblical looking with the, yes. with the halogen the light shining bread down. Well. Making bread. Oh, I know. And I've got such a nice thing for that, which I'll come on to in a minute for the Edinburgh show. Um, but um, uh, and then formed muffins, which I toasted because muffins are traditionally cooked on a skillet, on a, like an arga, uh, just on the hot plate. Um, so inverted an iron between two rolled up towels and cooked these muffins on top of the on top of the hot plate of the iron. Um, so anyway, so so I made I made a few films and um, uh, and then kind of didn't really do anything about it for a while. Had had a few meetings like any other comics listening to this know that there's all these exciting uh, prospects when you get meetings and you think oh this is going to happen and then nothing does. Um, and so it wasn't until uh, 2013 when, after doing a couple of years of Robin Ince's Christmas shows at mm-hmm. the Bloomsbury Theatre, uh, his godless shows, um, and doing sort of two or three of the run, I said to him, look, can I be part of the team for the next one, for the 2013 run, um, and do every show? And he said, yes, but can you come up with something different rather than the you know, the variations on the prop stuff that I'd done before. Um, so I thought I'd do a, because it's a kind of sciencey show, I thought I'd do a, a kind of illustrated lecture version of the cooking thing. Um, and so I wrote a 10-minute piece where I was cooking pancakes on two irons that were inverted uh, and supported by a trivet made of Gideon Bibles. And I've got a great story about how I got the Bibles. Um uh, and um, and that just went down really well. So then I thought, well, I'll, I'll turn it into a one man show, and it's the first because I haven't done it. I mean, you know, as you know, I've been on the circuit for uh, well, I've been doing it for nearly twenty years, um, and I've never done Edinburgh. And I, I think you know, it's it's 
probably because I've had a family and I've kind of, uh, I don't know, I've always come up with various excuses for not doing it, but um, doing it this year for the first time, I, I think the main reason I'm doing it this year is because I really do feel that I've got something that I feel so much passion for and um, and actually writing this one hour show was pretty easy and I've, I've the, the biggest job has been cutting it down to an hour because it's grown and then I've, I've come up with more and more ideas and and um, <clears throat> um, and so yeah so then I turned it into this one hour show George Aganicus Cook which I did in Brighton uh, at the Fringe in 2014 um, and then did another version uh, another shorter a different 10 minute version in Robin Ince's Christmas shows last year um and uh then did it at the fringe again this year and it's sort of evolved and then and then taking it to edinburgh so i i feel like we should get into some tougher questions about it now because we've heard okay. a lot of kind of uh uh this we've, we've got a picture now of who you are let's talk a little bit more about the having a family not going to edinburgh staying on the circuit with an with an act that are you turning over a lot of material have you been turning over a lot of material prior to on the, the circuit no yeah. No, no. I would, I would say, I think that the. It's interesting because I, I think I've certainly, for a long time, I would fall into the category um, of uh, acts who don't who don't turn over much material, who've kind of got got a, a pretty bulletproof twenty minutes, you know, thirty minutes on occasion, but generally, you know, closer to twenty, um, which works and didn't really not didn't really see a, a need for changing it but was involved in family life and um and I suppose that's where my creative uh needs were being focused on do build as you know doing a lot of building in my house and you know which I suppose is kind of similar to what I'm doing now in my show um but that's where the focus was and so it was it was being creative there to for my family and now that they're all uh, older um they're 14 17 and 19 now and so there's just there's not that that need um i think i've just focused my my creative my creativity on on my show instead and the same with my wife with nikki as well she uh has just i i suppose she's 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 an artist she uh was a hairdresser and for the last few years we've been saying if someone says what does your wife do would say uh she's a hairdresser but she does this kind of art stuff as well and now actually she's making as much money from her art as she is from her hairdressing um more in fact and um so we've got to that point we're going oh she's an artist and we were talking about it the other day and kind of going well i think it's it's, it's coincided both of our being creative again with the kids growing up I don't know if that answers the question, really. But yeah, it, 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 absolutely. We, it, it, we're getting into it. I, I suppose what I'm interested in is during the period where you were creatively satisfied with being a dad yeah. and, work and building a house and the workshop and all the rest of it, how it felt to be in an environment, in a, in a circuit environment, where other people were turning over more material. Did you sort of think... like because I? I I suppose because of the sort of the street performing background was only really sort of touched on. Um, but I suppose someone like the other, the other person who is of a similar ilk to you, I suppose that I've had on the show would be Noel Britton. Yeah. And Noel's brilliant, you know, and he's, he's spent, you know, 25 years turning his act into something that is indestructible yeah. titanium, you know? 
Um, and I, I wonder, I don't think I asked him at the time, but I wonder what it's like to see people growing around you and knowing that you're doing all of your growing at home. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you've been on the circuit for 20 years, you'll have, be, you'll have been headlining at gigs where the open spot is now someone who plays Wembley. Yeah. So yeah, how, does that, how did that feel to be... Did you sort of feel lucky to just be out there gigging? I know some people, some comics are sort of like, oh, you know, hey, I'm not working in a factory. This is success by my standards. Yeah, I think um, uh, I've never had that hunger for fame. I've never... So I've not, you know, looked at someone like Russell Howard who exactly, you know was going on first a gig in Exeter when I was headlining maybe 12 years ago um, and is now, you know, stellar. Um, I've never looked at him and kind of gone, oh, that's not that's not fair or anything like that at all. Um, I think I just... I think because Noel Britton's interesting and I listened to Noel Britton's podcast and um, and I think that when he was talking, he kind of... His justification was there's there's two paths. There's one where you can you know, be very uh, prolific and come up with lots of stuff that might not be dynamite or you can spend your life in that kind of old school way honing one act so that it's perfect. And he kind of, he just seemed very content to do that. I don't think I was content doing that. I, I think I was oblivious to it because I was just focused on other things. And I think it was, and I really enjoyed doing it. I've never, I never got bored doing, and I still don't. And I'm, you know, I'm saying all this as if, I don't still do the same 20 minutes, which I, <laughs> which I, I do, a, you know, a lot, a lot of my, my circuit uh, act is, is unchanged from, you know, I mean, it's certainly, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's evolving much more rapidly than it has, you know, in the last few years. Sure. I would assume that you get given more leeway to repeat the same material than, a, a uh, an observational stand-up oh, I think telling so, the same absolutely. jokes. Yeah, I think because because my my show is very much a show. Yes, uh, it, it's 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 yeah, absolutely. You, you're, you're fit on any bill. Whoever else is on the bill, whoever else, you know what I mean. I mean unless it's unless yeah, it's Wes like, Zarek, John Lennon, and yeah, uh, Noel yeah. Britton and you. But even that, even that would be great. You know, oh, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be great. Be. It would be a nightmare. And would I've it? done that. Oh, I've done. I've, I, I, there's been a numerous occasions where someone has had the bright idea of going, oh, we thought we'd just have a variety night. And so then they've just booked special acts, if we're going yes. to use the mid-90s term. I, always, um, I love the word special. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it's just been rubbish. I think it's, you know, it works so much better having yes. being on with two more conventional stand-ups. Gotcha. Um, but but yeah, you're I, very easy to book. Like if someone's sat there looking at their diary and you get in touch... Like their, their 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 calendar of their own. Gig. I'd say so, but I could give you a list of things <laughs> that <laughs> disagree with you. <laughs> when, when 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 you don't get booked for somewhere, when yeah. you're everyone's got certain gigs, oh, they just go. That person just doesn't book. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, I think I think some of it is probably that they saw me early in my career. I think you know it's it's so hard to get that first impression out of someone's head. Yes. You know, I know there's people who would have seen me when uh, when I was just sort of making the transition from doing street shows to doing indoor stuff. And it was all very circus barkery kind of, you know, drawing everything out painfully long. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and I learned quickly that, that the approach to doing a, a circuit gig is, you know, the opposite approach to doing a street gig. Um, but there was a period when when I was learning that when my show didn't really work very well 
indoors, um, and um, and there'd be there'd be places that I tried to get into that would have seen that, and even if they've seen me since have a belter, you know that's that's in their heads, kind of going, yeah, no, I'm not that, and I know I'm guilty of it too. There's people who I've seen the first time, and sort of went, yeah, I don't think they're that good, and then even if they're you know going places that's stuck in my head and it's just human nature I think isn't it mm. so I think that's partly why I think also there is like you say about the whole listenership thing of kind of being wary of saying oh he he started out as a street entertainer or you know cooking in yes. a circus or whatever um that that there's that baggage and I think that there's probably quite a lot of bookers who kind of go yeah no we only book stand up and I want to grab yeah. them by the look one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss and go no this is stand-up i've just yep. got some objects as well that, that yes i illustrate it with. i mean I, I remember in the early days of me emailing or probably ringing people to say can i get a gig no it was i was e- i was emailing rather than ringing just just at the just at the customer going oh this seems easier than it must have been in the other <laughs> days oh but because it's easier everyone can do it um <laughs> easy to ignore yeah 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 um, but i remember proudly telling bookers hey listen i've only done 50 gigs but i've been a street performer for 10 years yeah. And and assuming that they would take that in the spirit in which I intended it, like I've literally been making people laugh for a living for ten years. Yeah, this is going to be fine. And of course, unbeknownst to me, they'd be receiving the email and go, "You've done fifty gigs, and in fact, you're probably going to shout, draw things out, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and all those other all those other cliches associated with it." Which is such a shame because I can sort of see their point, but I can kind of see my point as well. Yeah, no, it's so difficult, isn't it? And you can't you can't tell someone they're wrong. And you can't, you know what I mean? You've just got to, you've just got to, I suppose, wait for the moment when they are at a gig where you you prove them wrong or yes. someone who they respect enormously says to them, oh, no, you've got him all wrong, you know, and yes. then you get another chance. But but um, but it doesn't bother me, well, it bothers me a bit, you know, it bothers everyone a bit, you know, you there's gigs you don't necessarily want to play, but you want it to be your decision. Yeah, <laughs> but uh... that's very well summed up. Yeah, absolutely. So when it does, when you and I've seen you, I speak as someone who has seen you just smash rooms up and down over and over again. When it goes wrong, are you stuck in a certain gear because you because the show is the show and the props are the props? Like um, if I'm if I feel that I'm tanking, I can go into the audience as a, as an observational comic. I can go into the audience. I can. I can talk to people, I can bounce off stuff, I can do stuff from a show five years ago because and because it makes me look clever because I've got something yeah. to say about something that's just happened. What kind of gears do you have as a... As well, a... I've definitely got different gears. So I've got, you know, I've got material that, that I 
think is a bit more intelligent and a bit more uh, uh, thought provoking, um, which I will, I suppose, admit if it's just the wrong sort of audience or they're not getting it. You know, there's there's stuff that's much more um, obvious and and uh, route one, I suppose, which which I'll. I'll go to if they're really the sort of audience who I think. I mean, I can that that opening four and a half minutes of of non-verbal comedy is a really good gauge for what the audience is going to be like because oh, yeah. there's a there's a there's a real variety of stuff in there. Um, uh, some of which which is really stupid, and if they laugh at that, then that's kind of. I mean, that the opening gag with the tablecloth, where I for the audience uh, listening, um, I have a, a tablecloth with a pint of water on and uh, there's a mic lead left on the table and I go to do the whipping the tablecloth off trick uh, and of course the people who are directly in the firing line there's a, a laugh from their response to thinking they're going to get soaked with water and then I take the mic lead off as if to say someone's left that on there and then I take the glass of water off as if to say and that and then do the tablecloth with nothing, with nothing on, on the and table. that and that nine nine point eight times out of ten uh or nine or ninety eight out of a hundred yeah that's another uh, way of saying it. <laughs> uh works and gets and and that's that's a real point where I kind of go okay this is going to be fine yes. and then I know they're going to get because the majority of what I like in the show my, my my favorite bits of the material are that kind of thought process of just stupid um uh, considered stupidity, um, uh, but then there's occasions when I'll do that and people just won't laugh at it at all, and then I think, well, it's going to be a struggle, and so I will, yeah, I'll, there, there'll be a sort of it, it'll be mostly the same, but there'll be a there'll be paths that I won't take, and there'll be paths that I will mm. because of that, and certainly more recently, I mean, when I did Glastonbury last the weekend before last, um, what was it last week? No, no, the weekend before last, wasn't it? Uh, I compared for the first time, which ah, which, okay. I, which I've never done before. Oh, at you were in the Astro Lane, yeah. Were you? Yes, okay. And um, and that was, and you know, having done this for as long as I have, and never compared, that was a real, uh, that was really interesting and brilliant. I absolutely loved it. Your, I would think that you have got such a huge bank of material. Sometimes compare. What what did you do? Let me. I won't put words in your mouth. What what was your experience of comparing? Um, well, in the Astrolabe, which is the theatre tent at Glastonbury, um, it's, it's very different to the cabaret tent where you compared, um, in that the shows are mostly not... Well, th- there's a lot of comedy there, but there's no stand-up, so there'll be some uh, absurd Barcelonan clowns uh, followed by a dance company, followed by the Steve Frost Impro All-Stars... Um, and so on, and that sort of ilk. So you get a uh, a very different audience in there, a very family audience, complete mix of age ranges, um, and um, and also an incredibly nice audience. So that made it, I, th- I think that made it a lot easier. Um, so I didn't feel that jokes, well, I've learned pretty quick on the first day that jokes didn't work mm. doing material, even trying to sort of slip material into what seemed like, you know, into conversing with them didn't work. What worked best was, was chatting with them, was actually getting off the stage, you know, walking into where the seats were, sitting on the seats, asking them what they've been up to and, and, you know, and seeing what comedy came from that, but not 
not pushing a kind of, I've got to make this funny. Actually, just being friendly, nice, chatty, and then doing a few things. And there's a few... I, I, I do quite a lot of the Comedy Club for Kids shows. Mm. And um, and there's bits that I've written for my, my kids' version of the show that works really well for that. There's a, a lot of illustrated practical jokes. Um, and so that, that, I suppose, was material, and that worked well, because it, I think because I was giving them something, I was sort of, you know, giving them yes. something to take away um, in the form of, you know, you can, you can recreate this yourself for your friends. Yes. Um, but, um, but yeah, but not, but standing there doing as if I'm on stage at a, a circuit gig didn't work at all. So persona wise, who are you on stage when you do your regular gigs and how are you different to George now sat on the, on the sofa? Uh, well, again, you see, this is so. I really think I've changed a lot in the last in the last kind of <clears throat> three or four years, um, because certainly when I started out, I really thought, okay, I'm I'm playing George Egg, I'm playing this character, um, and uh, sort of this sort of confused, bumbling clown, I suppose, almost. Um, and now I really feel like that I used to have glasses on stage, and then I and there was that was a real turn a point when I kind of went, I'm not going to wear the glasses anymore. And it was a real barrier thing and changing um, my, you know, and that changed my persona a bit. And I think, I don't know, I feel like I'm just a slightly amplified version of me now. And certainly in the Edinburgh show, the cooking show, it that's that's just completely me. I was very, it's not it's not very different. It's, it, I don't know. I, I, I suppose I'd, I'd have to, you'd have to ask someone who'd saw it more, but I feel like the the... The cooking show is much more about me. It's just, yeah, it's just an amplified version of me. It doesn't. I don't feel like I'm playing a character on stage anymore at all. But the and the cooking show you feel is much closer to actually being you. Yeah, but again, very amplified. I mean, I get really. I don't know if anything. It's more. I think because because the cooking show is so hectic and so panicky because I really am multitasking. I mean, I, I do cook a, a proper. And and really decent three course meal on stage in an hour in an hour on hotel equipment whilst whilst reciting an hour of written you know what what I what I've been describing as something that for in, in a Venn diagram where there's where there's stand up comedy illustrated lecture and cookery demonstration I fall into the the, the bit where those three sets intersect <laughs> it really you know, it's a hell of a niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No one else does that, do, do they? So now we're going to stop and uh, you're going to cook me some lunch using the equipment that you would find in a normal kitchen. I am. I'm afraid it's going to, it's going to be very conventionally cooked, but it's going to be nice. straight back in tell us tell us what we've just uh, the, d- described to my listeners the delicious uh, meal that we've just eaten okay it was uh, some very slow cooked pulled lamb shoulder um, which uh, we had in a in a flatbread with some tahini dressing some hummus some was it homemade tahini the tahini dressing was homemade oh, as in yeah. tahini with lemon with juice and garlic yeah. and water and so on um a bit of sumac. You weren't out. You weren't out smashing tiny tahinis with a bible. No, tahinis. <laughs> I have no idea what tahini, tahini is. Snaring tahinis in my tea, in my <laughs> tahini trap. Um, 
Uh, sesame seeds, did he? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ground sesame seeds. I knew that. Um, all right, you know. Uh, and um, some uh, coriander and chilli chutney. Very nice. Um, and some other salad things and some mint in there. Uh, and, tell us uh, about the Turkish Delight. I'm just going to close the window because there's people outside. Uh, we had some elderflower delight, which is such a great thing. It's just, uh, depending on when this goes out, it might be too late or just in time uh, to still get some elderflowers and make this. But it's, it's like Turkish Delight, but made with the elderflowers. Well, I wanted to get this out in time that people can listen to it and go, oh, let's go and see his Edinburgh show. So I will also prioritise the elderflower season. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, we've had a lovely meal. It was delicious. It was great. Um, we've had a lovely meal. We are now relaxing with a glass of wine. Cheers. Uh, cheers. And um, this, I could get to like this format for the show. But now, so we're going to get into the, uh, hey, it's real talk. It's, it's, it's post, this is whiskey and cigar, post-prandial um, time. So let's talk about your expectations for Edinburgh. As someone who has, have you, you've been up before, or you've I've, never even been up? I've, I've been up as a visitor. Mm-hmm. I've never been up in any capacity as a performer. Um, uh, I've, not, I've not been part of a package show or anything. I've just okay. been up. Last time I went was... Uh, I think the second year that Will Smith took his show there. Yep. And I stayed with him and went to see a load of shows. And that's so that's got to be nine, ten years, maybe? Yes. Eight, nine years? Yes, something like that. Long enough. So what do you want to get out of it? Let's talk about what you want and let's talk about what you think is realistic. What would the perfect Edinburgh be for you? Um, I think... And you don't need to... And you, you don't need to kind of like... Give a like an honest, an honest, perfect Edinburgh. Well, I suppose, absolutely, you know, stupid, unrealistic, perfect Edinburgh would be that someone came up to me and said, "We love this cooking show. You, you could be on TV doing, doing something to do with cooking, not necessarily cooking uh, in hotels, but, but you know, I, I suppose what would be ideal would be that they would see the genuine passion for what I'm doing up there, as far as in culinary terms." Um, and and my way of performing and talking about it, um, and then I'd get a, a TV series where I was allowed to, you know, do whatever cooking I wanted in whatever capacity all over the world, something like that. That would be the ideal one, um, sort of realistic uh, uh, ideal Edinburgh for me would be that I get reasonably well attended shows with people coming up afterwards saying. I really enjoyed that because that's when I've done it so far when I've done it in Brighton and elsewhere but Brighton both in the 2014 and 2013 fringes were really successful um in that they were well attended but chiefly that that I got so much feedback from people afterwards and and people are you know enjoying the creativity of it but also in literally saying that was really funny I really enjoyed it but that sea bass, how did, the the sauce that went with that. You can just remind me, you know. So so it just felt like I was hitting people's uh, uh, interest on a lot of levels, and and a realistic Edinburgh uh, expectation is that is not that I get a five star review or that I get uh, a, a TV series, but that I get enough people coming and enjoying it. And I think from what I've from what I've uh, heard from other comedians who and other performers who've done it, that 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 feels like a reasonable expectation. Yes, I think you know? so. It's you never know because it's your your first one. You don't have 
an existing fan base necessarily. No. Sure. Um, you've been gigging for 20 years to people who will recognise your face on a poster. Possibly. Do you think? Maybe. I don't, I, don't, I don't think even that, really. I mean, I don't think... I think being a circuit comedian, no one knows who you are, do they? I mean, people come along to see... What, what's been so exciting the last couple of years, doing it in... Doing it at, you know, doing this, this one-man show, is when I've, when I've sold tickets and I've known these people are coming to see me do this. And that's just been the best thing. And so, but I think people who know me or who know my show from the circuit, I don't even know if that's, that's a thing or, or, or it would be so few people, you know, that, that, that it's irrelevant. I can't imagine there's, I think that yeah. there, there might be people, I, I think I might've built up or I'm certain I've built up just from the sort of uh, uh, comments on Twitter and, and, and the fact that, you know, i that I sold well in Brighton, that there are people out there who now know that I do the cooking yes. thing. And so I think I've got a, a reasonable amount of following from that. But, I mean, it's still going to be peanuts. I think the strongest element of it is that you've got a really unique original angle. And I think that people will look at it and go, anarchist cook, what is this? Yeah. And I, what time are you on? 2.45. I think that's l- lunchtime. <laughs> Edinburgh, Edinburgh lunchtime, yeah, 2.45, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a nice relaxed late lunch. I can't see it not working. I think it's a, you know, and you're in that position as well, whereby most of the other people who are up there doing their first hours will either be canny people who waited for ages, but still only by ages, I mean like five years before yeah. doing one, or, or probably tens or maybe hundreds of people who are doing their first hour who are just throw just face planting into the festival yeah. and go, let's get this hour out there. Yeah. I spoke to someone um, called Lydia King recently, I saw her at ARG Festival, and I've not seen her work. She was comparing there. Um, she, I think, has done maybe less than 10 gigs, but she's doing an hour, but she's an actress, so she's done seven hour-long shows already. Yeah. So she's approaching it in that. So everyone's doing it from vastly different sorts of... Um, sorts of directions with vastly different expectations. I mean, it's not going to be, it's, it's not quite that you're going to be the Mickey Flanagan of this year, you know, the, uh, you know, someone who's been at the top of the circuit for 15 years going up and be, winning the newcomer award or, you know, getting yeah. nominated for newcomer. Well, I think with mine, I think the difference, and I think this is, this is what's made, attracted me to, to, uh, to doing it, uh, is I think a lot of, a lot of people of my, uh, vintage or whatever, um, if they hadn't done it for this long, would, would go up there with kind of going, okay, well, I'll just get the best of everything that I've that I've done so yes. far. Whereas mine, there are, I think there might be maybe a minute and a half, two minutes of material in the hour that I've ever done in, you know, sort of in, in club gigs. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, it's completely different. It isn't, I mean, it is, there's stand up in there, but like I've, like I said before, it's, it's, it's quite theat- well, not theatrical even. It's you know, it it it, it crosses all these different sets yeah. of of, of theatre and lecture and comedy, and I think that that's what makes it. Is it almost? Is it sort of? Are we approaching TED Talk kind of territory? I suppose Should you be doing it at culinary festivals, or I'd love to. I'd love to. I tell you what, I'd really want to do. And if they're listening, or friends of them are listening... For the benefit of the listener, Egg has just stretched out <laughs> on the sofa and got himself comfy. <laughs> there is a, there's a, an event in Copenhagen called MAD, which is Danish for food. And it's basically like a TED conference, but it's all about food. 
and they have just amazing stuff. They've got just straight chefs doing lectures, uh, or I mean, lectures sounds boring. <laughs> straight but, chefs, know. by which you mean chefs, like yeah, yeah. everyone else <laughs> apart from you. <laughs> they got more of you, your box standard chefs. <laughs> Um, and then they had, uh, they had um, I've forgotten her name, but the uh, Scottish schoolgirl who did the blog about her school dinners. Oh, yes, remember I, remember that? That. I remember that. Uh, and they had her and her father doing a talk. Um, and then there's this amazing, and I've forgotten his name, this amazing Italian butcher who is so charismatic and he's, he's really stocky and he's got totally gelled back black hair. Um, and he to this, uh, I think it's to a bit of ACDC at the start. He's quite old. Uh, he has a pig hanging from a chain. Oh, my God. Uh, on stage. And he comes onto this ACDC track um, and he guts the pig and he just pulls all the insides out. And it's it's amazing. It's so incredible. And then he gets all the all the guts on this big butcher's block and then the music finishes. And then he does this sort of lecture come uh, life story uh, which in Italian being translated by his American wife. Um, and then at the end, he does a, a, a bit from Dante's Inferno. Is it Dante's Inferno? Mm-hmm. Um, which she doesn't translate, and he just does it in this sort of operatic, booming theatrical oh voice. Oh my God! And it's just, and it's where you can look, if you look on the Mad Symposium website, um, you'll, you'll find a video of him. And it's, the set is fantastic, the set for the, the year that, that he was doing. Uh, is like a clearing in the woods and they've got all this grass and logs and things on stage yes. um, and then all black background everywhere else and just beautifully lit, like a good TED conference. Um, so, yeah. So have you got to raise your game then in light in light of that, given that there are other people doing incredibly weird and wonderful things in the world of culinary demonstration? Um, I don't have got to raise my game because I think still within that field, it's what I'm doing is unique. Yes. No one's doing a, okay, here's not funny. cook. Oh, he's funny as well. Oh, is he funny? But no, I mean, I mean the 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 fact that I'm doing hotel room cookery. So, mm. um, so well, here's a question: If this uh, year is a, if it's anywhere above halfway successful, like if it's a smash, if it works out for you, yeah, and a producer says we need another one, what's your next idea? Well, here's a funny story. Um, I had a meeting with a woman from a TV company. Uh, about a year ago and she was saying that she really liked all the the cooking in hotels idea and said you know I think it would be a nice idea for a series would be to take it into other environments where it would be you know cooking underwater (laughs) 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 Um, and uh, anyway one of the ones that she cited was cooking in prison and I said I've got to stop you there because this is that is one of the suggestions that Alan Partridge comes up with when he's, when he's flailing around, trying to think think of things. And uh, there's the Euphosin with Chris Eubank and Cooking in Prison and Monkey Tennis. Oh, my and God. So we had a laugh about the fact that she'd, she'd suggested you a genuine partridge <laughs> idea. That's wonderful. You could see it working, though, in the well, context in which we're talking. Well, actually, I did... When I did Moonshine in Bats. Well, well I yeah. did a, a preview of this in Northampton um, at the NN Cafe. Do you know that? Lovely venue. No, I don't And... Um, and there was a guy in the audience there who came up to me afterwards and said, I work in prisons and that is what, that's what prisoners do. They do lots of cooking in prison, you know, utilising, you know, the, the, in, in the same way that I'm doing in a hotel, basically saying, you know, that that's another avenue you could go down. So 
funny as it is in the Partridge thing, actually, I think it would be a really interesting would work. sort of documentary to, to learn about yes. how people survive inside. So what other kinds of, um, what other shapes could you do it in? Could you do, yeah, prisons could work, couldn't it? Yeah, prisons, I suppose, students, camping, festivals. There's lots yes. of, I mean, they're all, you know, they're a bit more pedestrian in the, you know, whereas cooking a hotel room is a bit more anarchic and cooking a festival yes, a bit is just more practical. subversive, isn't but it? I suppose, I suppose the thing is, is that... Cooking on your knees whilst driving. Can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I suppose this, you know, this, while it's fun, the cooking in the hotel and it's all creative... I suppose as far as if, if what you're talking about is kind of it being a calling card to TV people to say, it's kind of going, look, this guy is animated and passionate. He's a fu- and he's so a funny actually, chef. You're yeah. a chef who's coming at it from the funny angle rather than a chef trying to be funny. You're a funny guy being a chef. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that then then if, you know, we were entertaining the idea of me becoming a TV star, <laughs> uh, then... It would be that they'd be looking at me going, oh, right, well, he's animated and interesting. And so actually, if he can translate that into cooking at a festival or just cooking at home and kind of go, I mean, I like the idea of a programme that's just about cooking at home realistic. I've got this idea. I think it's a great idea. Can I say an idea that then without it being nicked? I don't know. Why don't you tell me and then say it in a short sentence and we'll bleep it if I think it's nickable. (laughs) The idea is... You can't possibly do that. It's a brilliant idea. We can't, I mean, you, you can't possibly tell people that. Yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. But I think okay. that would really work, don't you? I mean, Absolutely. I to talk about it without anyone knowing what Yeah, it yeah, yeah. But I think yeah. That the problem is, is that the first of those two things that I'm saying should be combined are so sanitised. Yes. And the second, there's so much empathy. Yes. And so, you you know, you get people watching it going, yeah. That is anyway. a great <laughs> idea. Okay, so let's not talk about the idea. Let's talk about this. This is a tougher question. Do you have the ambition to make that happen? Do you have the drive to put into it? Now your kids are grown up. If a producer chats to you, could, do you think you can hit that with enough kind of dynamism and verve and go, I'm the guy that's going to make this happen? Or are you, here's the question, are you too old? Um, in my eyes, I'm not. When it I mean, if, if I had a meeting with someone about, do you want to make a comedy programme? Then I think I wouldn't have the passion. If someone said to, I, I, don't, I think, you know, in 10 years time, if someone said to me, do you want to make a programme about cookery? I will, I will come with such passion and dynamism that, you know, but, but I might be too old just as far as, you know, people in TV seem to not be attracted to people who've got greying beards. Mm. But um, as far as in my head goes, I don't think when it comes to, to cookery and, and, performing with passion that then I think it would I think it would be dynamite it's such a great niche I think so but it's so it's so in isn't it everyone's into cooking these days but um yeah I don't know (laughs) so this is a question I often ask of my guests review yourself can you review yourself as honestly as possible uh reviewing myself in the capacity as George Egg anarchist cook or review myself as in George Egg as in George Egg as in as in the circuit show because obviously the new the anarchist cook show that's sort of yet to officially drop and uh you know people will be listening to this who are more likely I think to have seen your club sets over the years uh oh god that is hard isn't it then review myself I suppose 
don't know. It, depend, it depends if it's someone reviewing me who's seen me lots or if it's someone who's reviewing me, watching me it's you. for the first time. It's you, so you've seen you lots. Oh, God. Just, uh, <laughs> I think it's too difficult because I, I don't know, I suppose, I suppose <clears throat> a show of which 50% is tried and tested, albeit maybe a little bit tired, uh, and 50% of which seems incredibly fresh and interesting and entertaining <laughs> and original. And, uh, uh, yeah, I know that the new stuff, other acts have observed when they've watched me and they've just said, God, the new stuff works well. And I think it's because it's new and it's because I enjoy doing it because it's new and I'm kind of going, oh, this is nice because this is really, you know. Is there a danger with some of your stuff that's, and I don't, I don't think it's right to call it tired, but is there a danger that some of it has become kind of careworn where something definitely works and it's a banker you've been using for 20 years? Like what's your, what's your old, what's the oldest joke in your, in your club set? And I mean, I mean, old, yeah. I, I mean, old as in what's the one that you've done the most times, the most often? Um, I guess that opening, that opening four and a half minutes of non-verbal stuff, because that hasn't changed at all. And does that, I mean, it does, that is a great argument then for the sort of the, the chronology not mattering, because people see it for the first time and it doesn't seem old or tired it doesn't seem stale it seems really live no I mean there's, there's dark, bits you know? there's bits where I suppose if I get a gig and it says 40 minutes yeah where right. I kind of go alright well I'll have to drag that out um, <laughs> it's very different the way people approach comedy these days isn't it I, think I was going to say this earlier on I think you are of an age of a comic where it seems to me that most people started comedy 20 years ago most people who started comedy 20 years ago did so either because they had a burning political point to make yeah. or they kind of wanted their life to be alternative and a bit of a dos. Do you know what I mean? In yeah. a way that people don't tend to start like that nowadays. Or maybe no. they do, but they're pretending to have ambition. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone these days starting, you know, the, 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 the target, the market is so much bigger. The target is so much more precise. I want to sell out Wembley and make a billion pounds. Yeah. I certainly didn't start in a world where that seemed a remote possibility. No, not at all. I, I started. Never even, I never even start. I never even. Uh, I never even started. Well, like, <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't feel like I ever. Did. I never felt like I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this as a career. So I just. So I'd start doing the street entertainment when I was still in the sick form, and then I did that at weekends when I was at university, and then started getting a, a bit of you know contracted street work, and then <clears throat> did an open spot out at the creek. And then realised that I couldn't do the indoor stuff and the outdoor stuff at the same time because they were too different and made a conscious decision to just do the indoor stuff. But I did, it was such a drifting into it. There was no, there was never any. And then Nikki got pregnant with our first child. And so I sort of thought, all right, well, I better make enough money at this. So blitzed more open spots just so that I could try and actually make the circuit pay. Um and then, and then I suppose, yeah, just sort of drifted into it. And in fact, this is this is what we were going to talk about earlier. I was saying, I think, I think that the, I think I'm, I'm definitely a creative person, and I think that's like I was saying earlier when you know, as far as doing stuff in the house goes, and being a sort of creative father, and now that being a, a more redundant role, um, I think that the fact that the circuit has contracted, I think there are people who got into it because they're creative, and I think I fall into that. But I think then I got complacent 
well, not maybe complacent, but but like I said, my creative uh, uh, you know focus was elsewhere, and so the the show was working, and I was enjoying doing it, and I was getting booked, and so it didn't matter that I wasn't being particularly creative with it. And I think the contraction of the circuit has meant that people, um, the ones who went into it who were creative in the first place, are find themselves in a position where they're kind of going, they're forced into being creative again, and <clears throat> either they're really enjoying it like I am and they're going, this is great. This is, this is reminding me why I started doing this in the first place. Or they're the ones who got into it just purely as a kind of, oh, I can see a bit of a formula here and I can make it work and I can get a weekend's work and I don't have to do a real job. And I, I think, and I hope to, without being sort of sounding like I'm being too, too mean, but I hope that it kind of squeezes those people out because they kind of go, well, I don't have that creative urge and without it i'm not going to get noticed and i'm just going to drift off and they're the ones who are going to start you know doing a bit of laboring for their brother-in-law or or, or driving a mini car oh, oh, that's, that's a very bleak completely specific image i think i think that's fair i think um there are two reactions to the challenge of the circuit is contracting and one of them is work harder then yeah and the other one is complain about the circuit contracting well i suppose there's three there's there's work harder then there's complain about the circuit contracting or there's go and do something else mm. you know but just going well i used to do you know thursday friday saturday weekends blah, blah, and, and now i'm not it's like well create something else you mm-hmm. know be either create something else outside or create something else within it and, and you know, come up with something that people will go, oh, well, we, we want that, it's not what we my, need an act. This is what me and uh, my friend Pete, Pete Dobbing, who's now on the circuit, mm-hmm. you know Pete, um, we used to say uh, when all the new dads would be, all the, the dads at the drawer at Covent Garden at 8 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, and they'd be going, oh, come on, God, I didn't come out, I, I've got kids. And me and Pete, we wouldn't say the three of faces, but we would probably go, well, do something else then. <laughs> do, you yeah, mean? Yeah, do, yeah. do something that doesn't rely on you getting to enjoy yourself for an incredibly small number of minutes a day yeah. and not have to really do any work. I'm, I mean, I, I hope one day I rue that. <laughs> I have my own children. I go, God, that was stupid. I didn't, I understood nothing. But there are, you know, it's, it's sort of, is it a privilege, do you think, to be able to be a performer? Um... I don't know. I, I don't. I don't, what do you mean? I don't know. I was thinking that's a that's a, that's a clever question, Stu. You've never asked that. Makes a change from the old "Are you an artist or are you an entertainer?" Is it a privilege to be able to be a performer? Yeah. Do we deserve to all be making a hundred grand a year and doing double ups Thursday to Sunday and all the rest of it? I think you know, uh, as a comedian, no, I, I, I am who, by no means making a hundred grand a year. I use that as an example. That's it, just so. That's like partridge in the. <laughs> When they say the end, I remember you've been on the phone, Alan. Oh, I don't care, I don't care. <laughs> no, I, I think I used that because it came to my head recently in, in a conversation about the old, the old days, like 15 years ago, I think a, a good headlining comic, I, I have guesstimated, yeah. without TV, could be doing 75 to 100 grand a year because yeah. there are lots of weekends that are £1,000 weekends yeah. back then. Um, I, I, what was the question again? Is it a privilege? Is it a privilege to do it? Um, I, th- I think, yes, that's what I was going to say, is that as someone who, who 
sees loads of comedians. Yes, there's there's ones there's comedians who I watch who I kind of go, God, it's not fair that you got the success that you've got. Yeah, and others who I name think, them. No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I write them down. <laughs> hey, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> that was quick. Um, uh, They've got a very short name. No, no, no one, no one. <laughs> I didn't. I, uh, listeners, I pretended to write down on a mimed piece of paper with a mimed pen, didn't I? I didn't say anything or write anything down. Um, uh, and and then equally, there's there's ones who I'll think, God, you should have more success. Mm. So I don't know. It doesn't really answer the question, does it? But I think that. How do you think it's you're, not privileged you if think you work you're, hard? You're viewed on the circuit. I don't know. I think, I, well, I imagine I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm liked generally. I mean, I think I'm, I'm nice in dressing rooms and I'm very friendly and uh, I'll, you know, make a point of asking people what they're up to, not tell them what I'm up to all the time. That is a very rare talent. <laughs> well, I just know what it's like, you know, on the receiving end of someone coming in, just going, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Um, but, um, so I would hope I'm liked. As far as viewed as an act, it's just too subjective. So I know that, that, that I know there'll be people out there who go, oh, I think it's brilliant. And there'll be other people out there who'll go, I don't know why, why even gets work, you know. It's too, it's too subjective to, it depends on the person. If you were retiring to another dimension and you needed to train someone up to play the role of George Egg, what would you advise, the, the, what, what's the advice that you give them? Crikey. George Egg the comedian or George George Egg the Both everything. George Egg the Everything. Great uh, Edinburgh title. <laughs> uh, oh god, it's such a difficult question. I don't know. Um enjoy it, I suppose, really. That's so trite, isn't it? But but I think you I I I I'll stop doing something if I don't enjoy doing it. Um and um, and there were, I suppose there was probably, this isn't really answering the question at all, this is just me talking, but anyway. But I, there, there was a period maybe, I don't know, six years ago, five, six years ago, when I, I didn't nearly give up, but I certainly seriously entertained the idea of giving up and just thought, and, and I think that, um, I don't know, I started doing a little bit of teaching and I hated doing that and that reminded me how good this is. Uh, yeah. Um, and then when I kind of put more focus into doing this and then from, and it's kind of since then, that's when, that's when I started doing the hotel survival film. And that's when I did the, the, the shorter version. And, and since then I've done lots of, this sounds like a plug, but I've done lots of other things since then, like started doing a blog with, uh, another guy and I made a short film that is in the Edinburgh show. And so just lot, just lots of different sort of creative, uh, pies having my thumbs and fingers in um uh and so i suppose if if you feel a twinge of i don't like doing this anymore just get creative without i don't know get creative without worrying about the outcome maybe something like that does that make sense that's a great answer but i think that's the thing i think that so doing the short film and doing the blog the blog that that i do with uh a guy called Matt Lincoln, who's a photographer, and he's he's another dad of similar age kids, and it's just it's it's the, a lot of the I think a lot of the writing is is nice. I'm really pleased with a lot of the writing, and and it's sort of comical in a kind of 
newspaper uh, sort of supplement article kind of lightly sort of amusing um but um uh but we started doing that purely because we thought our kids we're both we both do most of the cooking in our houses and we just thought well our kids are going to grow up and they're going to want to know how do you make that ragu how do you make that whatever else um so we thought well we'll just start doing this blog where we take it in turns roughly every week to write uh, a blog piece with a recipe of what we've been cooking so that they've got a record to go back on and now we've got a lot of people who read it um, but we didn't do it thinking, oh, we'll write this and, we'll t- and then that'll yes. become a TV program or that'll become, yeah, a, yeah, you know, yeah. we just did it because we thought, well, that would just be a nice sort of way of forcing a bit of creativity once a fortnight, a bit of, you know, kind of sort of four or five hundred word bit of writing that we've got to come up with. Um, and similarly, I've been doing this show in Brighton uh, called Joe Neary and Friends, mm. which is, um, which we've actually stopped doing now, but that was a monthly show. And again, it was just, and it wasn't, we weren't making any money from it at all. I mean, sometimes we might get 10, 11 quid, but mostly, mostly it went on the publicity for it. And, but again, it was just being creative without thinking, oh, this, there's going to be a TV program called Joe Neary and Friends at the end of this. Just thinking this is a way of, of feeding that creative, uh, uh, appetite that I think people who've gone into this for the right reasons have and maybe lose for for a while which i think everyone is guilty of and i think certainly i did uh for a larger period uh some years ago which has been re-nourished no one on the show has ever spoken before about doing a different job for a bit and realizing why you love this one I think that's really, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I think that's really, not that it's advice per se, but I think that's really good advice. I think actually just to remind yourself. Yeah. I mean, I didn't stop doing it. I just, I was doing, I was just doing like, you know, a a couple of mornings at a university um, a week, but it was uh, just so disheartening. And so, and it made me realise, my God, this is just so, this is, I mean, I I think that's, that's the thing. I think that, 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 you forget is that, that you've got you've got this opportunity every time you go on stage to do exactly what you want you know and yeah you you might push it too far and not get booked at that venue again but but for that 20 minutes when you're on stage or however long you're booked for it's totally up to you it's this completely open creative you get forum. quite you we get a bit bored of the freedom don't we, we get a bit inured to yeah. it says oh it's just a gig and you go no from the perspective of people for a start people in the audience yeah. let alone you the performer this is just this is magic time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it can, that can become a little bit careworn, even if the act hasn't. Yeah. I got quite deep at the end. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, George. My pleasure. Thank you. So that was George. Thank you so much to him for coming along. Thanks for my lunch. That was a lovely lunch. Cheers, Georgie. Um, and uh, do get along and see his show, Anarchist Cook at the Gilded Balloon at this year's Edinburgh Fringe, which I believe he opens on something like the 5th or 6th of August uh, for uh, previews for the first three days, and then it's the rest of the month of August. Of course, you can come and see my show there as well. It's called An Hour. Uh, That is at 4.55 daily at Cannon's Gate, which is a pub on a street called Cannon Gate. Cannon's Gate on Cannon Gate. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, it's almost as if it's deliberately set to confuse 
outsiders. Who knows? Perhaps it is. Uh, you can come and see that. That's on every day apart from the middle Wednesday, uh, where I shall be hightailing it to the Highlands and escaping the festival for 46 hours. Can't wait. Um, and in the rest of the time for the, the, the second fortnight, I'm going to be doing uh, live comedians, comedian recordings with people such as, I mean, the first burst is unbelievable. John Lloyd, then Catherine Ryan, then Tommy Tin, and don't miss those. Uh, then there's one day we're missing. Uh, and then straight through to the end of the run, those are all happening at Black Medicine, uh, underneath Black Medicine, which is a coffee shop on Nicholson Street, corner of Nicholson Street and Drummond Street at the Edinburgh Festival. And uh, they will, when those shows are on, I think they're on, what are they, 10.55, 11, something like that. Have a little Google. Put it into Google. Uh, edfriends.com. You can find out all the details on the Comedians Comedian podcast live with an absolutely staggering array of guests. Now, I just don't know how I'm going to get these next few episodes out, so leave that with me, and uh, I will speak to you very soon. Possibly I'll start chucking them out twice a week for a couple of weeks to make sure everyone is uh, out and up and running before we go into Edinburgh. Thanks for listening. Thanks to George. Uh, I've been Stuart Goldsmith, and this episode was co-produced by Nathan Wood. Speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.